That said, please stand as we read today's scripture. This is Romans 5. Sorry, Romans 6, 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. These are the words of God. You may have a seat. Um, Today, we are going to talk about death and life. Very um, uppity topic for the children. Um, To start off, this is a short description of our topic from John MacArthur. Um, I'm going to read this story with a peaceful and joyful heart, and hopefully by the end of the passage you'll be able to understand why. There is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He is not popular, though the world is his parish, and he travels to every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor and calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion and of no religion, and the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring the feelings which no other preacher could, and bringing tears to eyes that are never weak. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit, and every newspaper prints his text, and someday every one of us will be his sermon. Like I said, it is a very joyful and uppity passage, um, uh, what he wrote describing death. However, this is our joy and hope in Christ. Um, I, I am not obsessed with death. I am not a very necessarily macabre person. Um, but in today's text, the temptation for guys like me is, is to want to preach something that you've never heard before. Um, Not because it's necessarily a new text uh, or that it's explicitly in the text, but because it would be fun. Um, In my own sinfulness, I I want to tickle your ears. I want to tell you things that will make you feel good and think well of me. But as I researched and wrote and prepared and prayed this week, um, I I realized that would be doing you a great disservice. Um, it, It would be sinful of me to not preach what was in the text. I tried to, um, but ended up just God rebuking me and and, and giving me the what for. Um, What is in the text is good, and what is in the text is what we need to hear. And the truth is that sometimes um, God speaks through his Bible and says what he says, and that's exactly what we need to hear, um, even if we've heard it a thousand times already. I've basically divided up the sermon today into uh, two two sections. First, death with Christ is death to sin. And then second, life with Christ is freedom from the slavery to sin. And then the last verse is our charge for today. Um, As we continue to work through this great letter, we will see in various ways how Paul's mind works. We see how he answers objections. Um, One of you will say to me, then. We also see um, he he anticipates in a very, like, Pauline way, um, 
that these things are so, and therefore you must act if, if, as if they are so. Um, this is something we learn because it is how our sanctification happens. Uh, sanctification is God making us like Him. Um, justification is, is God giving us good standing with Him. And then sanctification is the ongoing process of God making us like Him. And that is through our continual death. We are all fallen, and we are broken people, not operating as we should. We cannot leave earth and simply be preserved and waltz into the next life. In order to have life with God um, in the new heavens and the new earth, we must enter it through death. I think of death as the Applegate of the, the there's a commercial from Applegate Sausage. Um, it says there's this lady shopping for hot dogs in a grocery store. And she's standing next to uh, what appears to be a very old, fake, spray-tanned, leathery man. He's got fake teeth and a, and a, and a blonde toupee. He's wearing an ascot dressed up like a cow. And, and he's holding a mirror, admiring himself as, as he is representing the hot dogs. He says, um, big mistake. As she picks up the hot dog. No, no, no. What? What? She says. Yes, big mistake. Those Applegate hot dogs have no preservatives in them. I have nitrates, phosphates, sodium diacetates. I'm preserved. You think that this was by accident? Admiring himself in the mirror. She comes back with, but my family prefers all natural. And he is simply standing there admiring himself and said, "Mm, Daddy deserves to be preserved. Um, What is in your hot dog? Are we being preserved? Is God working through us in a way that we get to escape death because of Christ? That, now, that, that is a, admittedly a very silly illustration. And um, my own father admits and, and will say that he believes it. He thinks that he drinks diet soda all the time, and that's why he's so young and fit, because he's preserving himself. Um, but in the beginning... When God created the earth, everything was paradise. There was no sin and there was no death. But Romans tells us earlier in chapter 5 verse 12 that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death was spread to all men because all men sinned. What we need in life is to die in order to have life. If we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, a bloody death on the cross, we will surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, there's ample um, description of what that new resurrection will be like, but simply put, it is the joy of being with Christ. It is the joy of being preserved through death unto a new life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of death might be brought to nothing. Not brought to something. You see, because sin, like Aaron talked about last week, sin only corrupts. Sin only ruins. Sin does not produce good things at all. All it does is it takes a a good thing and it ruins it. And the way to new life, to be rid of sin, is death. We cannot have it any other way. We have to die with Christ. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So we are going to die. And Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, We will all be changed. We shall not all sleep, death, but we shall all be changed in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body, 
must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Okay, so we are going to die. But Paul says we are also going to be changed. When Christ comes back, everyone, Christian and non-Christian, will be brought back from death, from our, our physical death, and be changed. Our risen King Jesus will be back. And we will look forward to that day with great anticipation. But why? Why must we be changed? Because we are corruptible. Because we have been brought to a place of incorruptibility through Christ, through his resurrection. If Christ died and did not come back, as Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If Christ died and did not put on the imperishable body for us, we have no hope. And you're wasting your time sitting here. I'm wasting my time speaking. If Christ did not come back and conquer death, as it says in our text, we have no hope. But in that moment, we will be transformed because that is what is true. This is the mystery that Paul is referring to. He says with some excitement that all of us Christians, not all of us will taste death. Most will, but some will not. Um, What we have to do is die to our sin. And sin is the, the objection to the very existence of God. When we choose to sin, which we all do willingly, daily, hourly, When we choose to sin, we are objecting to who God is and putting ourselves in place of Him. We are trying to be God. And so, when we are changed, we will be changed into who God intends us to be. And that will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I have a beautiful young daughter. She's sitting right here, River. Her eyes twinkle all the time. And that that twinkling is a fast thing. When, When Jesus comes back, we will be changed. But it will be the end result of what he is doing now through us. If you are a Christian, you are being sanctified. And that process of sanctification is through repentance and belief. And it's an age-old process. It's what Adam had to do when he was removed from the garden. He had to repent of his sins and believe what was true. That he should have obeyed. We will be changed. The question remains, why? Because, like that all-natural hot dog, once we've been opened, we begin to spoil. Death begins its dance with us the moment we breathe our first and we are unfit for immortality. Therefore, we must be remade. In Christ's image. Because sin has reigned in our mortal bodies. We, even with all of our preservatives, will not last. We are on our way to death. We experience resurrection from our bodies and in our souls. Paul again repeats this concept because it is important. Jesus will kill death. Jesus has defeated death on the cross by offering himself up in our place. We know our The living Jesus, it is not through your own power. But before that, we had no hope. We had no ability to fight sin. Non-Christians are dead in their sin. You and I, before Christ saved us, were dead in our sin and unable to fight sin. We were unable, just like a squashed bug, unable to do anything to pull ourselves up out of our own sin. But in Christ, we now can. And and the way we fight sin, it, it it, it looks a lot like gardening. Um, picture a weed patch in your backyard. And this is where the, the beginning of mortification happens. God, God takes the weed patch under and, and makes it a garden. He kills all the weeds. He turns it all over. 
And so now it is no longer a weed patch, but it is a garden. The old status, our old ability, our old self is dead. So that's the beginning of mortification. This, the, the, the next step in mortification is what happens after you plant the new seed. So God comes into our lives. God gives us life. He raises us up. And then he begins working in us. He begins giving us growth. And as he does that, one of the intentional ways that we can participate in that um, through his power is by plucking the small weeds. If you leave a garden untended for very long, uh, months, obviously, if you leave it untended for months, it will obviously be full of weeds. But what we fail to realize is that if you leave it untended for a day, the weeds begin to grow. And they do not stop. They will choke out the life of the plants. And so we must, we must, begin, um, our, we must continue in our mortification by killing the small sins before they take over the garden. We must uproot them, pull them out. Um, This is a mortification that a a good gardener will tell you about. Get there every morning and pull out the weeds. When they are the size of a small penny, pull them out now before they grow into a own garden themselves. They will always be there. Um, it, it, It can get very depressing if we view our lives through, um, this lens if we do not see what Christ is doing, that continual process of repenting and believing, repenting and believing, the turning over of the garden, the, the pulling up of the small roots, this is what produces life in us. And we are, we are able only to do it through Christ. We are able only to do it through um, Him working in us. And this is because he is di- when He died, He set Himself free from sin. When you and I die apart from Christ, we have the natural result of our sinfulness, which is death. Um, When we die, when we are in Christ, we get what he got when he died, life. When he rose from the grave, he conquered life and gave it to those whom he knows, to those whom he has befriended and loved. Um, When we die apart from Christ, um, we get exactly what we want, which is death. The old man is dead. Now, now in, this, in this whole process, we know that um, Christ being raised from the dead, verse 9, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Therefore, so there's an imperative and then there's an indicative. It's very important in Scripture to understand the difference between the two. An indicative is something that indicates something. It is a statement of a fact. Um, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So that that is a fact. Now there's an imperative. It implies that we must do something. And what Paul is saying here is that because of grace, which is free, we did not earn it. Because of grace, we therefore want to obey God. Grace in us is working to kill our sin. The grace in us is working to produce new life in us through Christ. The imperative is, verse 11, So you must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, when, when we look at Scripture, this is, this, is, this is the nature we must put on, but believe has already been put on for us. Um, 
the climax of this whole section comes in, in verse 23, later down the passage. Um, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's our passage. Because, verse 23, death is the penalty of sin. And to break the mastery of sin is to break the mastery of death. When we refuse to sin, when we, when we put on the new life, we are responding to the indicative by acting with an imperative. Um, Paul means these two things to go hand in hand. They are not, um, you cannot have one without the other. You cannot be dead to sin without being also alive to Christ. And you cannot have new life with Christ without also desiring to put sin to death. So when we talk about death, we mean a literal death, but it is also a spiritual death. Um, We will all physically, literally die. But in that death, we will all spiritually live if we are with Christ. Because He came back from the grave on our behalf first. And then we follow Him in that. That is our hope. Is that there is no penalty of death. There is no penalty in death. Sin, the sting, has been taken away. It's a bee without a, it's, it's a, bee without a buzzer. No, it's a bee without a stinger. Um, there's still the buzzer. But it's a bee without a, a, a stinger. Um, it, it doesn't, we do not get what we deserve. We get what Christ earned for us. We are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now, the way that works out in our own lives is, is very practical. We confess our sin. We do communion here at New City every week. And we do that on purpose. We do not do it by accident. We do it on purpose because, because w- everything we have is contained at the table. Everything we have is represented at the table, um, spoken out by God through Jesus. It is the blood spilled on our behalf. It is the body broken so ours don't have to be. Um, when we, when we are, talk with our children, the practicality of sin is the sting of death, and we need to fight it. So when we talk with our children, when they sin, we, we take them away from the family to signify that they have been broken fellowship, that sin is broken fellowship with the rest of your relationships. So we take them away. They've sinned. They've acted rebelliously. We take them away. And in that taking away, we're, we're representing the breaking of the fellowship. Now, when we talk to them about it, and, and I believe, actually, my wife does this better than I do, but um, there's, a, there's a simple, what's called a catechism that we walk through with our children uh, to teach them that what they have done leads to death. And so we, we talk about, hey, you've got a consequence, and it's a bit stinging, um, and, and it usually makes us cry. Um, but it, it is because our sin leads to death. And so the pain that you feel in this brief consequence, um, though momentary, it, the trajectory is death. And we do not want you to go there. Obedience leads to life. But Christ's grace in his obedience is the only thing that will give us lasting life. And so we talk about how the consequence you receive is, is, a, is a shadow of what is to come in the trajectory of your disobedience. So, children, please repent. You can know the gospel. You can repent. And, and the way that we translate this as adults is, is the exact same way. We need to confess our sin one unto another, that we may be healed. Um, and the confessing of the sin involves a repenting of the sin. Not just admitting that I sinned, but turning away from it. Now, we all have um, lasting sin that we struggle with. We will all die um, sinful people at the end of our lives. Paul said in his trajectory that he died a worse sinner than he began. 
Um, and now it wasn't actually because he became a worse sinner. It was just that God progressively revealed his sinfulness to him. And that is what we pray for. When we come to the table, we come as sinners redeemed in Christ through his blood. And so when we, when we work through our own sinfulness with our spouse or with our neighbors or, or with our friends or, or with other people in the church... Um, Admitting our sinfulness is the first step, but turning away from that sinfulness is the hope. Because when we turn away from sin, we turn to Christ. We don't just turn away from sin, we turn to Christ. And so admitting our sinfulness should be easy. (laughs) But it's not. Why? Well, because we're sinful, right? Um, the, The two kind of go hand in hand. Admitting our sinfulness is hard. Um, we, but we must do it. If we are Christians, we will want to do it. Now, just because it's something hard to do doesn't mean it's not something good to do. Um, turning to Christ and away from sin is hard, but it is a, we are able to do it because of Christ. And we are only able to do it because of Christ. Um, there, there's a, a doctrine of, of, of our utter sinfulness or our total sinfulness. We are not utterly sinful. We are not all, um, to pick up just a you know, a really bad person that we all kind of use as a bad person, Hitler, right? We're all not like Hitler. We're all not rounding up people and murdering them in mass and using them as experiments. Um, we are not doing that. We are not all as sinful as we could be. God in his kindness restrains our sinfulness um, and does not show it to us, but he also does not allow us to be as sinful as we could be. Even though sometimes when you're raising kids, it feels like they are as sinful as they could be. Um, they are not. They could always be worse. Um, I could always be worse. I, I often remind myself, my wife, of that when we're dealing with my sin. I could be worse, sweetie. <laughs> um, but th- thankfully, we are not. Um, thankfully, we, we are not as bad as we could be. God in his common grace, in, in the, the goodness that is common, um, that is given by God to, to all people, he restrains our sinfulness and so that we might not be as sinful as we could be. Um, and in that, he allows us to see our sinfulness and repent of it. If we could not repent of our sin, there would be no hope. Christ dying on the cross, raising from the dead, that gave us the ability to repent. He gives that to us as a free gift. So when we, when we discuss our sinfulness with one another, I would encourage you as a very practical pastoral exhortation, don't hide it. Don't fake it. Because you could be worse, one, but at the same time, we already know it. You can't hide your sin. Children, you cannot hide your sin from your parents. They know it. They see it. So lying to yourself about how sinful you are, adults and children, lying to ourselves about how sinful we we could be or will want to be, it doesn't help us. It's, it's, it's trying to mask a reality um, that Christ came to remake. Um, I was reading, uh, we're reading uh, Narnia to our kids right now. Um, and we're on, we skipped a couple books. So I think we're on book four or five, right? Prince Caspian? Yeah, yeah. And so one of the things that I think C.S. Lewis does wonderfully in Prince, um, in the Narnia series is at the end, he talks about um, the new world that the Pevensey children, they, they, they're in a train wreck and they die and they go to the ultimate Narnia. They go to the real world. And, and Lewis says that as they go in this life, in the new life, it is the place that is more real than now. 
It is a material world that, that it's not a spiritual floating on a cloud kind of like angel thing. Although it's a chicken. That's not an angel. Whatever. An angel. It's not that kind of world. What it is, it is, is actually a more real world than it was because there is no sin. In the heaven that God gives us, in the new earth, we are living on the earth that he is remaking. In this new earth, it will it'll be harder. Food will taste more like it should, except for the, it doesn't because of the sin. And, and because of the sin now, when God removes every tear, we won't even cry when we're happy. We'll be so happy, we'll be beyond being able to cry. Um, what Lewis paints in that picture, and, and, and you could really just skip to the last chapter and read um, the last battle, the last chapter to really um, get, get a taste of what I'm trying to communicate, is that there is a, a real reality that is more real than our current reality. And it is coming. Christ is bringing it, um, like, like, like we pray often in our home, Christ is bringing it first in our hearts to conquer our dead selves, to put us to death, and then he's going out into the four corners of the world. Although it's a globe and I'm not a flat earther. Um, we, we, we say four corners of the world. Um, and, and so when we, when we see this reality, when we, when we are given the gift of life with Christ, what we naturally comes with that, and it's a very non-natural thing, but what comes with it is a hatred for sin. So we must get to know the first half of our Bible. The Old Testament. Though it is not old. It is old in the same sense of a foundation of a house is older than a roof. It it is not old and useless. It is old because it was put there first. And then the second one, the New Testament comes. We must understand our sinfulness um, if we are to fight it. And we all need to be better, what's called, hermartiologists. Studying sin. That's the Greek word for sin, amartia. Um, we, we need to know what sin is in order to put it to death. And Christ gives us that picture uh, throughout the whole Bible, but specifically through his law. It's a good thing. Paul says, Jesus says that God's law is good. But us in our sinfulness, we, we use God's law and make it bad. We use it to, to turn it against itself and do what we should not do. We read a list of sins and instead of killing them, we do them. We see them as a to-do list um, instead of a to-kill list. And so when we read Scripture, we need to know that as we become more Christian, we become better sin killers. As we become more Christian, we become better sin killers. Now, that doesn't mean that there's varsity and JV Christianity. That doesn't mean that there's some Christians that are better at being Christian and others that are worse at being Christian. At the foot of the cross, we are all the same. We are all level. Pastors are not less sinful people. <laughs> Ask my wife. Um, when, we, when we come to Christ, we come and he gives us the ability and the desire to kill our sin. Children, ask your parents how to kill your sin. But as you ask them, watch what they do. Parents, I'm putting us all on the spotlight here. You will model to your children how to kill your sin. You, you will do it. You will either do it well and in Christ, producing life, or we will do it poorly and we will not do it with them. We need to be able to tell our children how to repent of sin, but by, we, we tell them by showing them. They know your sinfulness. River, Asa, they know my sinfulness. It's very hard to hide. It's near impossible to hide your sinfulness from your children. The best we can do 
The only option we have as Christians is therefore to repent and show our children how to repent. Um, We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This means acknowledging, um, like I said, that we die with sin and are brought to new life with Christ. We must consider ourselves, we must reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, And so we live in that peace. Killing sin becomes a joy. Killing sin becomes something that is a part of our new nature, a part of our good decision that we get to make. We get to kill sin. Praise the Lord. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a murderer. We get to kill those parts of ourselves and have new life in Christ. That's it. We're going to have communion here. Children, if you are a believer, please talk with your parents beforehand, and and, and you may also have communion. If you've been baptized and um, into Christ Jesus, you you may have communion. This This is our hope. When we sin, we run to the table, not from it. The blood spilt on our behalf, and the, bre- the bread is the body broken on our behalf, that we might have peace. Christ calls us his brother, his sister. Um, that, that is our hope. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for pointing out to us our sinfulness. Um, I, even in my own life, I, I regret not being able to be who I should be. But we know that our hope is not in our ability to be who we should be. Our hope is in you and your ability to be who we should be. Um, Please forgive us of our sin. Please cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Um, Please teach us to be disciples, um, people in a church, in a community, uh, where we know how to and learn how to love one another through our repentance and our belief. May we raise our children up um, to be conquerors of sin and not afraid of it. Um, Father God, there is the only hope we have is in you and in Jesus. All these things we ask because you are king. Amen.